To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody and welcome back to What's This Dao All About, the world's most popular podcast on Taoism. So says me. I'm Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Hello. It's true. We are the most popular. We are. And you know what? Uh, we actually we got a little bit of ink a while back um, from Everything Long Beach, which is a a website, and I live in Long Beach, California, and they actually did a write-up on this show, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the headline was, Long Beach comedy writer finds his way with Taoism podcast. <laughs> and I love the fact that they called me a comedy writer, because I'm not really a comedy writer, but I'll take it. And if <laughs> if it's in print, then then it's true. That makes it so. <laughs> yeah, it makes it so. Look, I can point to this. <laughs> See? Somebody with a website said I was a comedy writer, therefore that's what it is. I've written a bunch of comedy stuff for some other podcasts. Um, in fact, weren't you a host on a show like that? Yes, I've done yeah, I've done plenty of that stuff. I used to host my own radio show, which was comedy oriented and There uh, you go. A couple of comedy podcasts that I've done in the past that have been kind of popular. Um I was actually I once hosted the number six comedy podcast on iTunes. Made it to number six. All right. But uh, let's see here. And now we're hosting the number one podcast on Dallas. That's right. That's right. Um, So, yeah, they they did a great little write-up. So a bunch of people found it, and a bunch of people found the show through it. Yeah, a guy emailed me. He's like, oh, I saw this on everything Long Beach, some guy in San Diego, and uh, sent me an email saying he he found out about the show because of that. So it was kind of neat. And then it circulated around to the point where my wife's at work and people are going, your husband hosts a pot podcast <laughs> about Taoism? What is, what is any of this? And then my wife had to kind of explain it a little bit. And then, then it goes something like this. Then she goes, well, here's the deal. My uh, husband hosts a popular podcast about something that you can't talk about. <laughs> and then they probably just walk around going, oh, I knew he was a wacko. <laughs> he wears Hawaiian shirts all the time. He's got something wrong with him. And didn't you say that someone just heard your voice and recognized you oh, yeah, on for, the street? <laughs> yeah, was for, some, for a comedy show I went that had pretty good listenership, I was getting a – it's weird. It was, I don't know. Uh, eight in the morning and I'm at Starbucks getting a coffee and you're not at that point you're not thinking about your life's achievements or <laughs> anything but just I need a coffee and the guy's like Todd? I said, yes and I'm like who is this guy? and he's like oh you host that that comedy show I listen to oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool man you dig it he, oh yeah thank you well thanks for listening I don't 
it's weird when wow. you get emails and you see download numbers. Like we get the emails we get from the listeners here. We can't get to all of them, but it's incredible the stuff that people write to us. And um, it's it's just yeah, it's very moving actually. It really you is. Know, I mean, the, the the emails that people say it's completely changed their lives. You know, it's kind of dissolved their depression and their suicidal thoughts. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. Truly amazing. Right. And I'm very uh, pleased, uh, you know, to have that type of impact. It's incredible. And I think, you know, Dr. Tottenham, we were talking before we started recording today, and I said, you know, I think it's just we're, we're playing with powerful stuff here. Yes. You know, we've got the most yes. powerful material in the world to work with, and that's... And when you drop a, a pebble into a, a, a lake, the ripples... Go on further than you know. Yes. And as Dr. Totten said right after that, and we have a very big pebble. Yes, Lao Tzu, the biggest of all. That's right. <laughs> so uh, in keeping on that note, we have an uh, email we got from uh, a, a listener named Erin. And uh, she says, hello, gentlemen. And she actually had written once, and then she kind of came back to clarify later. Uh, I wrote last week about applying Taoist thinking to my martial arts study. Since then, I've thought about it, and I'd like to narrow my question if possible. Recently, I had too much to drink and got into a fight. Mm. I convinced a friend of mine to spar with me, and for him it was sparring because there was no anger from him, but for me, it was a fight. Because I probably would have hurt him if I could have. My course, my master, was disappointed. Oh, of course, my master was disappointed. We had a long talk about discipline and self-control. I realized I always lose my temper when I'm sparring or rolling jujitsu or fighting, and so I always lose. How does the Taoist rein in their temper once they realize it's been lost? Still loving the show, Aaron. So is this – I guess there's two folds of this question. There's a question of uh, not losing one's temper, which applies to everyone. And, yes. And then, and then specifically, I assume, because I know nothing about martial arts, so I'm mm-hmm. excited to talk to you about this today. I don't know anything about it. That uh, – I did take Shotokan Karate once. There you go. I got a, I got a C. A C. <laughs> in school from Sensei About. Um, but, yeah, I guess there's two things. There's I, evidently, I guess, losing your temper in a fight or, or while practicing a martial art is going to screw up how, your performance. Correct? Well, I, fortunately, I know a little bit about martial arts, having practiced them now for over 50 years. And being in the martial arts hall of fame, correct? <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, you know, uh, Taoism and the martial arts is certainly a huge topic, and there are entire martial arts systems which are considered to be Taoist in nature, mm. by the way. These include the popular, probably the most popular martial art in the world, Tai Chi Chuan, okay. practiced by millions and millions, you know, in parks in early morning and senior centers and all over the world, really. There's also uh, an art called Bagua Zhang, which is actually based on the eight trigrams from the I Ching. Mm. Tai Chi is based on yin and yang, which we often talk about. And then there's an art called Xing Yi, kind of uh, heart-mind boxing, which is based on the five elements. See, So these are very Taoist in nature. Yes. And I know all of those, actually. Isn't Mm -hmm. that how you came to understand Taoism was through martial arts? Yes. Yes, one of my um, Taoist, uh, one of my um, uh, Kung Fu teachers who also knew Qigong was a Taoist priest from China. Mm. He lived in a monastery and uh-huh. then came here and began teaching. So, yes. 
And, you know, the, the hallmark of all of these arts really is non-resistance, you know, not trying to use force to overcome uh, uh, force because then the strongest person is just going to win. Right. And very often, of course, you know, the martial artists were people who were smaller or weaker or fewer in number, and they had to basically defend themselves against overwhelming odds. Like the seven samurai. Yeah. And so if you're trying to use strength to overcome an even stronger strength, you're probably going to lose. Right. And that's something like our, our uh, listener here says. She says, uh, <laughs> and so I always lose. She said, you know, the end of her letter, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because she's losing her temper. And uh, we'll talk about more about that in just uh, a moment, about losing the temper. And so the hallmark of all these Chinese systems really is non-resistance, yielding rather than struggling, and using one's opponent's strength against them, particularly if they have superior strength. Yeah. You're not going to be able to beat it with your strength because they're, they're stronger than you. Right. You know, trust you're talking about a woman and trying to overcome a, a, a large man's strength. She can't do it right. if she's going to try to fight at that same level, mm-hmm. defend at that same level. It's not going to work. So as so t- turning one's opponent's strength against them, kind of like jiu-jitsu does and Aikido and Tai Chi do, uh, you know, if someone pushes you, you're going to try to resist their their 250-pound push? Yeah. I don't think so. Right. No, it's a lot easier just to turn in the same direction they're pushing, add just a couple of ounces to that yourself, and they go flying off balance. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. okay? Or if they're trying to grab you and pull you in, you're going to try to resist it and get your shirt ripped off your chest? <laughs> no, you, you move go in. It. You go with it. You step in. You Again... Isn't what's more Taoist than going with the flow? Right, especially when someone's <laughs> trying to whoop your butt. <laughs> That's the ultimate. Because again, because it's it's counterintuitive. <laughs> it is, and and we find it is. actually we had um, one of the uh, uh, chapters that we have in here was a lot of it about how the Tao. It's about everything counterintuitive. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's everywhere, but you can't see it kind right. of thing. Lots right. of those things are counterintuitive. And, exactly. And once you really understand martial arts in a certain way, it's counterintuitive. Then if I just walked in the room, I'd be like, <laughs> so this is just learning how to beat somebody up. Right. <laughs> or if you learn any great skill, if someone talks to me about advertising and they go, isn't that a great ad usually? And they come to me and I, my thought is usually actually it's not and <laughs> because it's not doing this or that or right. The people who really know an art of something, uh, music especially, you know, great musicians are are listening for when not to play, not when to play. Exactly. But the guy who just straps on a guitar for the first time is trying to think of when to play. Right. And so it's that art, it's that <laughs> Tao that circulates in everything which you understand. When to engage, when to pull back, when to step aside, when to step forward. Right. It's all, A lot of it's about timing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In fact, as... You know, the famous martial artist, perhaps of all time, Bruce Lee, yes. once quipped in a film, he, he called it the art of fighting without fighting uh-huh. <laughs> in his classic film, Enter the Dragon. It's very Wu Wei. Very Wu Wei, fighting without fighting. So a Taoist martial artist attempts to blend with the movements of others and without struggling, unbalance them so they wind up neutralizing their own power. Ultimately, we want to even remove the idea of fighting from their consciousness so that peace and harmony is restored. Mm. So 
These Taoist martial arts are also called internal systems because they actively cultivate qi, you know, internal energy, or life force to use rather than only physical and muscular strength. Okay. You know, they, we have practices like qigong, you know, deep breathing exercises that actually activates and mobilizes this flow of energy. You know, the same energy that's used for healing in acupuncture, okay. you know, Chinese medicine. Right. But in Chinese martial arts and even some uh, Japanese martial arts, particularly Aikido, you know, the word ki is the same as chi right. in okay. uh, Chinese. It's called ki in uh, Japanese. Mm -hmm. So that practice utilizes uh, meditation and qigong to cultivate this along with your basic, you know, drills in martial arts, punching, kicking, blocking, all of those type of things. Sometimes even practice with ancient Chinese weapons, spears and swords and sticks and things, because then that teaches you how to move your energy into an object outside of your body. Yeah. And isn't that what we do all day long? We're touching things, objects, people. We're, we're relating to the outside world. And if we can learn how to connect our energy with the natural energy that's in kind of everything in the universe, again, harmony is achieved. Mm. <coughs> Pardon me. So to our listener, what's her name, Erin, mm -hmm. I would advise that, of course, she listen to her teacher about self-control and discipline. Yes. Avoid drinking alcohol before practicing. <laughs> you ever because... have that? You ever have somebody coming a little buzzed to the studio? No. Oh. They know better. All right. Alcohol lessens discipline and self-control and can lead to temper flare-ups and problems with the ego, which is exactly what happened to her. Even better, some introspection perhaps, perhaps even the guidance of a therapist to take a closer look at her inner dynamics that are leading to these ego states of kind of me against them might in the long run prove to be of even greater benefit for self-growth. Mm. So, you know, whenever we kind of have a, hit a bump in the road, that's life telling us, well, slow down, stop, take a look at that. Why do you keep bumping into the same bumps in the road? Mm -hmm. Again, karma, pattern keeps replaying. And so it's actually a blessing, you know, when you bump into it, if you have the right spirit and realize, you know, life is trying to teach me something, and it's going to keep upping the ante. The right. bumps are going to get harder until I wake up and start paying attention. Right. You know, and you, you don't want to uh, keep bumping so often that you get knocked unconscious or fall off the cliff. Right. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's the hard way. And you want to get to the point where you start to do things the easy way. You know, so it doesn't take you, you know, five years to figure out, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. And it doesn't yeah. take you a year. It doesn't take you six months. In fact, wisdom is knowing in advance because you are looking at the totality of reality. Therefore, you know in advance what is the, the water course way, mm. the way that the water flows naturally. And then you just go with the flow. Now, if Erin, uh, who has some problems with her kind of anger, uh, and gets too angry. Right now, it's her natural way might be an angry one, right? She might be angry. So what's the... Especially lubricated with alcohol. <laughs> yeah, you tend to get more angry. You know? That tends to do it. Yeah, he been to a bar lately. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and and so the, the thing. So how does what's the course correction? Because I feel like people who, who come from a, have a lot of anger inside, whether it's usually caused by some kind of trauma, it's usually caused by some kind of deeper thing, and they project that on other people. They they have some drinks at the bar, and then they see the guy. Oh, you're looking at me funny. You know, I'm going to yes. try to beat people up. Yes. So how does one that deep well of of anger? How do how do you put that out? You know, how do you put out that fire? Because I've I've found with my own. Now tell me if I'm wrong here. Sorry, I ask you a question and then I, I move on. Um, I found that personally, uh, it's almost like we have kind of a baseline of where we are emotionally, mm-hmm. and I find that I'll get angry sometimes, and I think that sometimes that's just naturally welling up, emotion naturally welling up from whatever. Uh, psychological trauma because everybody has some level of something happened to them or whatever. I think it bubbles up and then you project it on other things. Yes. That's the reason I'm angry. It's yes. those people. Exactly. It's that person in my life when really it could be just a natural well of anger that comes from some kind of natural humanity or uh, trauma mm-hmm. throughout life. Mm-hmm. And then we just project it onto people. Exactly. I, you know, you know, things build up. Particularly if they're not addressed, (laughs) you know, directly and in the context context within which they were created. And since a lot of this is below the level of awareness, it's in the subconscious or even the unconscious, you know, it's in the shadow, if Mm -hmm, you will, mm -hmm. as Carl Jung said. And, And so people flare up over things that really have nothing to do with what they think it is. Right. Because they aren't looking at the... Five, four, five, six, ten, twenty, who knows, unhealed wounds internally that have given them this high emotional charge just waiting to be ignited. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if the, if self-control has been diminished by alcohol. Right. You know, which, which is a disinhibitor. Yeah. Okay. So, again, it, it, it requires some introspection either with by oneself or perhaps, as I suggested perhaps even with a psychotherapist mm-hmm. uh, who's been trained to help us go on this kind of inner journey and begin to heal some of those sore spots <laughs> inside right. so that you can go through life uh, again following the watercourse way as Alan Watts yes. uh, called it and, 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 and find more natural balance in your life and not get triggered by things internally from your past you know mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, you know, all of life has to come with trigger warnings, right? right yeah. <laughs> and and there's a trigger everywhere. And so our task is to work internally so that we're not susceptible to that. Right. We we can include things externally without igniting things internally. Right. That's the task. And and I found that of course meditation helps with that. I think Absolutely. You know, I if I string together three good days of meditating, suddenly uh, everything becomes water off a duck's back a yes. little, you know, 25% more. Yes. People say something to me and then you get that, that, uh, that trigger, that yes. kind of anger. Yes. And then I can, in my mind, wipe it away, contextualize it mm-hmm. and be fine and not just react. Right. But if I'm not meditating, I'm much more susceptible to that kind of just react reactionary emotional response to things yes. and not be able and not have that, a kind of mental power to force it out, you know, to, to wipe or to wipe it away, mm-hmm. to or to go with that emotion mm-hmm. and then let it go. Right. See, we, ultimately, we want to be 
we want to have so much space internally that whatever we encounter externally, we can include, you know, mm-hmm. without being triggered, right. you know, without having that, uh, that emotional charge flare up and then it drives us in a certain direction. Yeah. Mentally, we start to think a certain way. Emotionally, we start to react a certain way. Physically, oh my gosh, you know, your body's reacting to stress. Yeah. Your blood pressure is going up. Your heart rate is going up. Yeah. Your body, your brain is releasing all kinds of stress hormones. You're, you're basically ready to what? Fight or flight or freeze, you know. Or uh, write a really angry comment on Facebook. <laughs> right. Or, <laughs> or, or worse, become an internet troll and just, you know, yeah. just do all of those uh, terrible things that people do out of a need to defend their ego. Yes. Defend their ego. We want to soften all of that so that um, we, we don't have to live from reactivity to reactivity to reactivity. That's not natural. It's being a slave. It's, it's being a slave. It's being a slave or a prisoner. I don't like either one of those. <laughs> yeah. 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 You want to free your spirit, free your mind, free your soul, so that you can naturally develop yourself to your fullest capacity as a human being. And, you know, be, being uh, kind of taken over by rage and anger and everything, uh, it, I mean, it could be an all-day experience. And what, and what a waste of time. Oh, it can be a lifetime experience if you let it. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I've had times where, you know, someone says something to me and I kind of get upset or whatever. And then, you know, I'll mull it. I'll mull it over in my mind for two hours or, you know, you, just, you know, whatever. And then finally you get over it and you go, what a waste of time. that was. I should have just <laughs> let that go to begin with. And again, I found the practice of meditation. I may only have to hold on to that negative emotion for three minutes. You know, my Zen master says... You know, people ask him, do things in life affect you? He says, of course, I'm human. But how long? Mm. One breath, that, that's his standard. He takes it in, he inhales, he feels it 1,000% to its totality. And then as he exhales, he lets it go. Why? Because it's a brand new moment now. And he lives fully in the moment, mm-hmm. accumulates no karma. And that's why he's on his last lifetime. Right. He's out of here. Yeah. He's accumulated no more karma. He's let it all go. Mm. And he just lives fully present in the moment. And in the space of one breath, he takes it in, he lets it go, and he's there to embrace the next moment. Right. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> so we've got some more listener mail to get to. I love listener mail. Oh, it's yes, great. Yes. I know. I it know. makes us think. I know. <laughs> Let's go somewhere the other way. I, you know, I like this one right here. We're talking about... Um, Listener calls. What time do we have? Okay, we got lots of time here. We've got all the time in the world. Let's see here. Uh, dear Dr. Carl and Todd. That was almost my, uh, my Chicago accent. I felt like we should from Chicago. <laughs> dear Dr. Carl and Todd. You're going to talk like El- Elwood Blues. Dear Dr. Oh, my goodness. Carl and Todd. I had an un- uncle of mine who, who passed away, so I went to Chicago and everybody, hey, his name was Al, and they say, Hey, uh, Tad, uh, we all really liked Al. That's the way they'd all talk. I'm sure there's some guy right now listening in Sweden who did, didn't get any of that. We get, so many listeners to the show yeah, aren't... Around the world, yeah. Yeah, they're all around the world. Uh, dear Dr. Carl and Todd, firstly, thank you for bringing me and so many other Dow flirters back to the way. <laughs> Even just practicing mindfulness for 10 minutes a day has really changed my life. I owe the constant reminders of the podcast appearing in my feed for keeping me on track as well as your excellent discussions of the Tao itself. I I rely on doing this show as keeping me together. 
My question's about how to handle beggars on the street. I live on Bristol in England, and I'm asked to spare some change multiple times a day. Obviously, I can't give money to everyone who asks me, but I also have no way of deciding between them. And so, invariably, I end up giving to nobody at all. I keep being told you shouldn't give money to homeless people anyway because they just use it to buy drugs or alcohol. Are they conning people and should get help elsewhere, or, or they are conning people and should get help elsewhere? What is a Taoist approach? Should I just stand back and watch things happen? Should I give to a charity instead? How, should I show love and compassion instead of the money they're asking for? I feel terrible doing nothing, but I don't know what action I should do. Uh, hoping you can help me with a question that has bugged me for a long time. Yours sincerely, Simon. All right. Well, uh, you know, this is certainly a timely topic for discussion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because there's this problem of homelessness, homelessness all, all over the place. Homeliness as well. Homeliness as well. <laughs> <laughs> Walk down, see, see some of these people out there? <laughs> Woof. But they tend to look very interesting, actually. Yeah. You know, I say, I say, you know, the Tao abides in balance, which stems from understanding and compassion and each individual out there uh, in podcast land must find what feels balanced to them. Some of the options mentioned, in fact, by the listener, uh, have a great deal of merit, such as giving to a charity. And uh, always, as the listener stated, showing love and compassion. Perhaps even saying something to effect of, you know, I, I don't really have money right now to give you, but I really hope that you have a great day and find what you need in order to feel better soon or something to that effect. You know, at times, I'll simply start talking to someone and ask them about their day and how they're feeling and, again, just wish them a good day and then, watch, and then just watch their eyes and energy just light up because now I've really given them something, respect. And people who are living on the streets are feeling disrespected by others, probably by themselves and maybe their own families. And if you just spend 30 seconds just giving them some respect and just looking at them and talking to them like a human being, mm. you'd be shocked at how much they benefit, oh, they yeah. derive from that. Oh, and yeah. people will just say, oh, thank you so much for that. Oh, yeah. You know, you gave them maybe more than money. Other times, you know, I'll simply carry around a pocket full of small change and just pass it around, you know, because I do know that, you know, giving, volunteering, and sharing always feels really good. And I always encourage people to do what they can, which includes working for societal changes in our social care systems and voting for representatives who seek more equitable and just solutions for society's ills, because these aren't going to just go away because we want them to disappear. Many of these homeless uh, persons, of course, have uh, problems with mental illness, substance abuse, likely caused by attempts to self-medicate their mental illness since our mental health care system has failed them. Many have been displaced economically and lost their jobs and fallen through society's safety nets. Some are homeless vets with PTSD and so on. So working to modify the big picture is always an appropriate response. You know, at the beginning of my mental health career, I trained in a large uh, VA hospital, and there was a psychiatrist from Vienna on the ward who gave less medication than any other doctor in the whole VA. Mm. You know, everyone else was giving heavy medication. She gave just a little bit. But you know what she told us? I'll never forget what she said. She said, human contact is the best medication. Mm. How true. 
mm. and how inexpensive. Right. And no bad side effects. Right. <laughs> well, it depends on what human. Depends on what human you're interacting with. <laughs> so there's always something that we can do. And um, so <clears throat> you know, I hope that's helpful to the, our listener that uh, you, you always have something to give. You can give yourself and mm -hmm. you can give respect because people on the streets are in desperate need of that as much as they are of, uh, you know, having a quarter or a dime or a dollar or whatever, you know, you might have to share with them. Yeah. You know, I found just practically, uh, I used to work in uh, Venice Beach and in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of uh, homeless people around there. And so I'd be driving from, you know, off the freeway into the office or whatever, and you'd frequently see people you know, uh, begging uh, on the corners or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what I do is actually I bought a big box of granola bars. Yes. So if I saw a guy in the corner, I'd flip him a granola bar. <laughs> and it, if, you know, guy's not going to use a granola bar to buy drugs and he needed <laughs> food to eat. Yes. And there's no, I'm not contributing to an addiction, mm -hmm. but I'm, uh, you know, and I'm feeding the guy. Yeah, I, I, I know a woman who carries around, like, little packages that she's put together of, like, you know, those little travel size, uh, you know, tissues and maybe a, a toothpaste and, you know, some hand lotion. Yeah. Just, you know, things just to make their life on the street a little more comfortable. Right. And she'll just go up to someone and say, you know, I put this together and I'd like you to have it. Right. Isn't that nice? All right. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's a perfect solution to that. And then some people also have like uh, little gift cards, five bucks to McDonald's yes. or two bucks to, you know, go yes. get yourself a Big Mac. And that's not going to go towards drugs. No. And the, the one thing is there is a um, – there are some people that are kind of professional beggars in my neighborhood and they have – they hold their children out. As, as kind of sympathy plays and stuff like that. Yes. And I've kind of learned to such that out so I don't <laughs> deal with those people. Some people look obviously drug-addled. And the thing is, and so you kind of don't want to go with the money there. Um, but, and, but the problem is, you know, there's lots of times where it's that person's a drug addict. They chose to be that way and they <laughs> don't need help. But you know, it's like you ever watch the show Intervention. And, almost, you know, people who... So have sustained serious trauma in their childhoods, whether it you know, be sexual abuse or any kind of abuse, emotional abuse, all the neglect. Those people take drugs and then they get whisked into addiction like going down a slide, right? Yeah. Uh, someone who, has, who had a healthy upbringing, blah, 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 can do a little bit of drugs here and there and not fall into that. Yes. Have alcohol, not fall into that. Yeah. But lot, I think there's probably a very, very high percentage of people who are street addicts and are that way because they've been so traumatized in their, yes. there's a, a very strong core. And you'd know that obviously as a psychologist better than me. As I mentioned, they're trying to self-medicate. Yeah. So having, I mean, so that line where you don't have sympathy for those people because they did it to themselves is kind of disingenuous right. and, it, yeah. and it allows people to distance themselves from mm -hmm. feeling the need or guilt to help others. And remember, our society is not set up in an equitable manner. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, there's kind of the one-tenth of one percent, you know, and then a lot of the other has been uh, manipulated, you know, to support them and to withdraw support 
from those who are at lower segments of society. Right. You know, people talk about, remember the old thing about, oh, that's a welfare queen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you know. The no, old Reagan line. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the biggest welfare queens are the, are the massive energy corporations, you know, that pay no taxes, make billions of dollars, right. and get subsidized by the taxpayers. Right. Talk about a welfare queen. Right. <laughs> My goodness. You know, and so we have to put things in proper perspective see things as they really are not as just we believe they are based on our own narrow prejudices in some cases but realize that you know we're all on this little this what did carl sagan call it this pale blue dot yes right this tiny little earth flying through the universe and here we all are just trying to make it and some people fall but through the cracks and they really struggle to make it yeah and i think that we need to find compassion in our souls for people like that and whether we give them just a smile or a little pat on the shoulder or say oh god i really hope that your your, your day gets better or, i really hope things work out for you in your life or you give them a little money or, or uh, some uh, you know tissues and some toothpaste or you know a little travel uh, toothbrush you know whatever whatever you can share uh you I think you're contributing to the greater good and you know what you are going to feel so good about yourself mm -hmm. because nothing feels better than selfless giving you know remember what was it St Francis it is in giving that you receive mm -hmm. and it is in loving one another that you will come to know the meaning and purpose of your life right. great christian saint there said that mm -hmm. and you know there's a big difference between enabling and helping right because some people will say oh you're just enabling homeless people when you help them you just there's a big difference between enable uh, seeing a drowning man and giving him a life preserver <laughs> versus you know enabling you know there's a very large difference and um i think that the world is not a black and white place. Mm -hmm. The world is a very nuanced place. And, yes. and, and I think a person with heart and who, who can make a nuanced decision doesn't just negate all the homeless people and say helping them is enabling. Right. And, but he also is smart enough not to, to know when he's contributing to, to dark things. And a lot, a lot of times are these notions that we sometimes have about enabling, it's coming from a very judgmental place. Yes. And frankly, often coming from a very privileged place. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that where <clears throat> that person can't even imagine what this person's life has been like for them to eventuate winding up homeless, hungry, begging on the street. Mm -hmm. um, no, nobody chose that in life. It, you know, it's not like in the high school you said, you know, I think it's my career option. <laughs> I think I'll become a homeless beggar on the street. That right. sounds really good. Doctor, lawyer, uh, uh, you know, technician, a plumber, uh, teacher. No, no, no. I think I'll be a be no, no, no one chose that. Yeah. Believe me. No one chose that. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Let's, <laughs> let's finish up with one last one. Here. Uh, we have a question about Taoism and Christianity. Oh, Dr. Uh, Totten and Todd, man, I am really biz busy. Recently, I tried to start meditation again and I didn't, I just didn't have the time. I have two kids, a wife, a full-time job, and a part-time job. Mm. I'm busy. Yes. When is a good time to meditate, and why doesn't it seem to be beneficial sometimes? Part two, also, what purpose does Christianity serve in the Tao? Ha! Wow. Uh, we could probably talk about that for the next four or five yeah. years, right? Right. 
<clears throat> so I guess we, we start with the first one about finding time. And I, you know, my, my thought about this is when I meditate, I meditate for like about eight minutes at a time. And uh, some people will say that's plenty of time. And some people will say you need to be sitting on a mountaintop for two hours a day, right? Um, but I find that's beneficial to me. And it's, it's a pick-me-up. And if I do it consistently every day, it has, it has a, uh, what do you call it? It has a... I don't know, it, uh, an effect that continues, you know, it right. it accumulates. It, it, accumulative it, effect, right. which is good, 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 and it goes. So um, I find that works for me. And I've got to say, you've got to have eight minutes in the day. <laughs> you know, make a deal with your wife or you've got a, you've got a job. You've got a lunch break. You can go and rip off a sweet eight-minute meditation in your car <laughs> or in a local park. Or and, and I would say that, you know, that's the time I need to feel good and have a beneficial effect. I'm sure if I did 20 minutes at a clip, I'd, I'd get even more out of that. Um, but there's, I think sometimes we, we create such huge goals that taking that first step is even just, it's too much. So if you take a small chunk and then, you know, every day, eight minutes and make a point of it, set a reminder in your phone. That's always something that works for me. Uh, and, and then you'll see after three days it has a, an effect. Um, but uh, Dr. Dr. Totten, what do you think about that? And also he's saying sometimes it doesn't seem to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, this is a big topic, <clears throat> but that's great. We like, we like big topics around here. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, I, I recently went up the mountain to see my uh, Zen master. Again, wisest, most evolved person I know on this earth. <laughs> In his last trip around on this walking this this planet, um, we were talking about him a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, and let me tell you what he what I think he would say because he's told us this many times. You know, many people have enshrined meditation as this thing they have to do for X amount of time, or it doesn't have real value. And uh, this, my Zen teacher, you know, he says. You know, he's often called to uh, monasteries, temples overseas in Asia to speak with monks who have been meditating for 20, 30, 40 years Mm. and have had no progress. How is it possible that someone who's meditating 12, 15, 18 hours a day for 25 or 30 years has made no progress? It's because they don't understand, obviously, something. And and what they don't understand is what meditation really is. They think meditation is something you have to do. They think enlightenment is something you have to attain. They think you have to try to get from here to there. And it's all this trying and striving and attempting to do something that prevents you from real meditation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Wu Wei, effortless action, is always the way. And so often when uh, uh, my uh, teacher is teaching us about meditation, he'll say, okay, let's ha- do a little experiment, a meditation experiment. Uh, maybe it's for 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be for 12 hours, because mm-hmm. 12 hours, you're going to be trying, right. <laughs> believe me. But 30 seconds, you're going to probably pull that off, even 10 seconds. 
And what you do is just be, be quiet for a moment. Observe your breathing, your thinking, your emotional state, any images that come into your mind, any memories. You just look at it without judgment, without attachment, and just notice that. Take a deep breath and just feel where you are in the present moment. Because the present moment is all there is. Mm -hmm. The past is over there. The future is out there somewhere. We're connected to both of them. But the only place we can experience anything is right here, right now. Right now. But most people are attached to either their past because of all the things that went on back there. Or they're trying to escape their past and their present and escape into some distant future where things will be somehow magically better. They're doing everything except being here right now, being mm -hmm. fully here in the present moment, which is what meditation really is. It's being, and even five seconds of being fully present in the present moment is nurturing to the soul and right. spirit of humankind. And so, so why might they not be getting, feeling they're getting benefit? It's probably because of one of those things I'm mentioning, <laughs> I just mentioned. They're trying too hard they're trying to force it. They're trying to do anything other than just be here now and pay attention and relax into the present moment and, and allow the present moment. Remember, the present moment contains everything in the universe. Mm. Everything that ever was and ever, ever will be is already here. The multiverse, who knows how many dimensions we're even talking about. And so the Chinese say we live in a sea of qi, a sea of energy which is all of that. But most people are completely unaware of that. If we can awaken that consciousness for even a few seconds, you're changed forever. Right. You'll never forget that feeling about being connected to everything, everywhere, within yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so meditation should not be a struggle. It's something that you relax into. My Zen teacher says, do less because we're always trying to do more, and we're always trying to strive and get something. And it's that very attempting to do more and to try to grasp and reach and strive that pulls you out of the present moment and ensures that by creating so much karma, which comes from all that attachment, as mm -hmm. the Buddha taught us, <laughs> right. that's what creates what? Suffering, he said. Mm -hmm. And there's only one way out of that is to let go. Right. It's to let it all go. Wu Wei effortless action. Just be here now. Go with the flow. Pay attention because the lack of consciousness, unconsciousness leads to inhuman outcomes. <laughs> and um, I think that uh, our, our listener, Simon, his, his life will begin to become uh, more... Uh, no, not Simon. Um, I don't know what this person's name was. I think his life will start to become uh, more enriched. Now, about Christianity. You know, one of my teachers said something really interesting. He said, there's room within the Tao for all spiritual paths. Right. <laughs> there's always, and I've always admired the example, speaking about Christianity. Christianity means Christ-like. Christian means Christ-like, by the way. I've always admired the example that Jesus himself showed of love, forgiveness, compassion, social justice, and too many uh, I see who profess to be his followers seem to have forgotten much of that and display very few of those qualities themselves. In fact, they display kind of the opposite of being loving and forgiving and compassionate and having 
attention given to social justice in in their in their lives. Yeah. So Jesus himself, to me, appeared to live an exemplary life, wholly consistent with that of the Tao. Okay. <laughs> so that's my answer about that. Yeah, you know, I I think I've done a lot of thinking about this. And I think that it's it's very interesting. I think that in certain ways, Taoism and Christianity are almost kind of polar opposites uh, because Christianity is kind of about ultimately kind of being saved from our sinful natures by God or by Jesus, um, whereas Taoism d- doesn't really say that, man, you're natural. You're not born into being sinful. It's kind of saying it's, it's it's all about uh, finding your truest self. That actually your inner nature is something you're supposed to be embracing, whereas Christianity is almost saying your inner nature is sinful, and you know the the basic concept of man is a bit different in, in, in both practices. Although, where, where did Jesus himself say the kingdom of God was inside of you? <laughs> right. See, so right. That, doesn't that sound kind of Taoist to you <laughs> about getting in touch with your inner nature? Right. Right. And uh, and uh, remember, I was talking earlier about uh, going into this place of unity consciousness right. in the heart. Right. Right. And again, right from the Bible, right. Only the blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Yes. Yes. And and what is what is this this God? You know this. This, this this thing that is beyond our conception, really, that's very almost like the Tao, right? The Tao yeah. that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao, right? right. And so I, I think that kind of from different perspectives, they were really looking at the same reality. But then over the centuries, it gets uh, codified into law, it gets codified into practices, it certainly gets codified into the kind of the rules and regulations that go along with an organized religion and an organized church hierarchy that then gets people looking outside of themselves rather than doing what Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within. Right. They look everywhere else except there right. for, you know, for the rules, for the guidance, for something that's going to get them to where? Heaven. Heaven. Out there somewhere, Right. And listen to what the man told you. He told you where it was. Listen to it. Mm-hmm. He told you where it was. Mm-hmm. And he told you that, uh, you know, th- th- what you do f- for the least of my brothers, you do to, to me. me. Yeah. Right? Again, social justice. Right. You know, should, should you feed the, the homeless and the hungry? Well, what, what did he do? Wash the feet of the beggars, right? And went to see the prisoners. And th- I mean, he, he, he basically told people who what he was about right what being christian christ-like was about he told everyone and, and for some reason they don't want to listen he gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know i find I, I find some some contradictions though between the two and you know you see people who are christian many times have the bumper sticker that says not of this world kind of on their their car and then I always, but I think that's in Taoism. It's about completely being of this world, being of this earth, and being of this environment, and being of this universe, and not waiting for, as they say in the Tao of Pooh, for the great reward that comes after. But it's all right now, and it's all right here, and it's all right, you know, right between your eyes. And I found that in in Christianity there is, uh, you know. It's a women are said to be subjugated to men in Christianity, 
But in Taoism, uh, they say that you must, you know, there's yin and yang, but stick to the yin, mm-hmm. right? So it's an embracing the female. Although I, I doubt seriously if Jesus Christ himself ever said that. <laughs> no, he may, you know, he may be not have, but in the Old Testament, you know. You see, a lot of things have become conflated. Remember, Christianity, it means Christ-like. Right. And there's all sorts of other things that have been conflated with that that have nothing to do with that. Right. Nothing. Zero. In fact, are the absolute opposite of the example set by Jesus Christ himself. Right. And even within the same text, because there's stuff in the Bible about... How to beat your slave? Uh, no, uh, there's all kinds of outrageous things, terrible in things in, uh, in the that, Bible that have nothing to do with being Christ-like. Correct, nothing. In, in fact, if anything, it's anti-Christ. Right, right. And so I, I see what I would deem the anti-Christ, if anything, very emergent in many of these um, uh, organization and organizational approaches to what is supposed to embody the life of a, of a, of a person who lived a very pure, loving, right. compassionate, forgiving, respectful life. Right, 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 right. Now, if I see people displaying that, to me, that's a real Christian. If they're not displaying that, then not only are they a hypocrite of the worst sort, they're actually embodying the traits of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we have to be... We have to be honest here and look at things as they are, not as they call themselves sometimes, right. because words confuse and obfuscate, and they often act as a barrier to the reality that your only your own two eyes can actually see. Yeah. We have to see things as they are, not as people claim they are. Right. Now, now the question would be, Doctor Carl, if because I've I've battled with this myself and as someone who is who was raised in a very very christian home and was really you know as was i by the way yeah and and you know it was such a big part of my life and then i it it became very difficult for me when i was a christian to go through the entire bible and have these things in there which i vehemently uh, disagreed with and thought the especially in the old testament the nature of god is very vengeful very narcissistic Mm -hmm. and very all these things um and then in the sense you have you have the life of christ and then you have you have the how to beat your slave and you have the the (laughs) terrible things about homosexuality and you have all this stuff and i couldn't in the end wrap my head around it and say that this is something I, I should abide by or something that was moral or, you know, it became so difficult to the point to where I, it just, I was kind of done with it. And, and then the fact that in the Bible they say that this must all be accepted as truth. This is, you know, my way or the highway is the way the Bible is. It, you know, if you go against this, then you're going to hell. And you go, well, I don't really know if you could fit every animal onto an ark. You know, <laughs> and like, you know, these... <laughs> These things became so difficult to grasp that I, you know. And again, I think all of that stems from, again, history, a lot of culture-specific interpretations of what it means to be Christian. Uh, But I always go back to the source. I go back to what did Lao Tzu see and, and feel and say? Buddha, what did he see and feel and say? Christ, what did he see, feel, and say? All of these other things that aren't in harmony with that, 
I, I, I have to just toss them aside. Right. Because clearly they're, they're not in harmony with what the individual they claim to be modeling their entire path on right. uh, was, was about. Right. Clearly. That's why when you look around here, my, temp, my room here, my temple, you know, you see Jesus Christ on the wall here. You see Buddha. You see Lao Tzu. You see Kuan Yin. See, you see Krishna. You see, see Krishna. Right. You see uh, artifacts from Africa and South America and uh, Hawaii and all over the world because we're all in this boat together. Right. We're all in this doubt together. And again, back to my Zen teacher, you know, he'll, he'll, people will say, you know, some of the things you're saying sound just like what Jesus Christ, similar, similar to what Jesus Christ said. He always stopped and say, no, 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 not similar. The same. <laughs> or some of the things you're saying sounds very similar to what the Buddha said. The Buddhists say. He goes, no, 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 not similar. The same. Or what you're saying sounds just like what, similar to what Lao Tzu was saying in the Tao Te Ching. No, 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 not similar. The same. See, so he is in complete connection with the source of all of these spiritual paths. Mm -hmm. And he sees absolutely no separation between them at all. Right. Because reality is what it is, and either you can see it or you cannot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these other things that have been tacked on to the religious organizations over the years block that view. Okay. And only to the extent that they take you right back to the experience of the originator, to Jesus, to Buddha, to Lao Tzu, if they take you back to that experience then I consider them to be a true path. Right. And if they don't, I think it's a, um, a distortion. Right. It's a distortion. Hmm. And, and see, and that's something that I think that the Tao requires of us. It requires each person not to rely on some external structure for what your truth is. You have to go into your heart. Right. And you have to find your own. And the people in the past, these great spiritual teachers like the Buddha and Lao Tzu and Jesus Christ, who embodied that to the fullest, if I was going to look anywhere, I'd look to their experience and then see, can I create in my life, in my mind, in my spirit, in my soul, a similar climate to cultivate experiences that they had? Right. Because if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for Frankly. <laughs> so who am I going to listen to? Them? Right. Or what someone else says is right or wrong about some other culture or some other sexual orientation right. or some other people? Or who are you going to listen to? Right. Who are you going to listen to? That's right. You know, I think we, we have to choose our path with wisdom and clarity. Mm. Or, or it's very easy to go astray, very easy. And in fact, you look at the history of mankind; much of it is a history of going astray. Right? You know, you know, you know. We, people th like to think that their religion is is good, right? Well, how many people have died in the name of that religion? How many million? Right. Millions, millions, millions. How many great Taoists? How many, how many <laughs> you know, wars were caused so, by Taoists? So, you know, it's easy if, if you're just listening to what's out there to become confused mm -hmm. and to sit back while atrocities and genocide is being committed in the name 
of something that's supposed to be holy. Right. Yeah. If that's not sin, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's sin on a large scale, right. if you ask me. And so one of the things that the Tao requires is that we, again, we take responsibility for who we are and how we are going to live our lives in this world with 7 billion other human beings. And if our beliefs are going to lead to the extermination of large segments of those who don't follow our particular way of understanding, then I think that we need to change. We need to change. Because reality just is what it is. And either we're going to embrace it as it is or we're going to try to cramp and distort and even destroy it because it doesn't agree with how we see the world. Mm-hmm. And if that's where we're coming from, uh, we're, we're just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I said, it's not a matter of right and left, liberal, conservative. No, it's a matter of what's right and what's wrong. Right. And either you're being supportive of life and of life living to its fullest potential, all life, everywhere, or you're not. <laughs> or you're a part of death. <laughs> or you're not. I'd like to thank Dr. Carl Totten for his great words on today's show. And uh, you can go online at whatsthisdowallabout.com and leave a comment on the show. Find us on Twitter at whatsthisdow. That's right. At whatsthisdow.com. Yeah, whatsthisdow.com. And uh, whatsthisdow.com. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, on iTunes. Oh, uh, yes. And we're on iTunes. So hit, hit that subscribe button. And thank you very much.